comments on there. And I have a tendency every time I get on there to really like what I'm reading. So if you want to check out a, a good blog, Pathios blog, uh, it's a collection of different theologians and missiologists, and they, they typically have really put up great content. We are celebrating the last Sunday of Epiphany today. Um, Epiphany is the six-week season that specifically celebrates the manifestation of Jesus appearing to the Gentiles. So I think the first moment of that in Scripture is with the three wise men, people who are not of the, the Jewish culture. And so we celebrate the fact that Jesus came to extend his love now to all people, both Jews and Gentiles, and that's what Epiphany celebrates. And what we've been doing, what Epiphany means, is a, a manifestation or an illumination. So we've been trying to illuminate different topics of our Christian faith that we felt like God uh, wanted us to start the year with. So we did hope. Uh, Carrie last week did vulnerability. Uh, Andy a couple weeks ago did uh, the deep and wide, like the missional nature of God, of, of, of telling other people about him. And today uh, we talk about the supernatural as we close uh, the season of Epiphany. And we're going to use, there, there are multiple texts in the New Testament uh, that are supernatural in nature, but we're going to use the transfiguration as our text today. So Matthew chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Uh, if you're not familiar with the transfiguration, this is when Jesus essentially peels his human skin off and reveals his godly nature to his inner circle of disciples. Uh, it's something that's miraculous, and we're going to see their reaction to it and, and, and how it's in the context of how this took place. So Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. So we'll stop there. Um, this is one of many stories that involve the supernatural. I mean, the new, if you just think of the scope of the New Testament, you've got blind people who can suddenly see again. You've got paralyzed people walking again. You've got uh, sick people healed, dead people being raised to life. Jesus was not the only one. Then you got Jesus speaking to demons and casting demonic presences out of people. The New Testament is weird, people. All right, it, it is. There is all kinds of crazy supernatural stuff happening there, and uh, we're living in the age of the Enlightenment, where you know science and reason and um, stuff that we can kind of wrap our heads around. It, it, this stuff lends itself to skepticism of such supernatural happenings in the New Testament. Like, for example, Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers of our country rewrote his own version of the life and teachings of Christ, and he took out all, the, I don't know if he took out all of it, but he took out almost all of the miraculous events of Jesus, and he retitled it The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth, because he was an enlightened guy, an educated guy. He went to William and Mary, and he could not wrap his head around the fact that there were supernatural happenings in the life and ministry of Jesus, so he made his own Bible, which I don't recommend, by the way. Um, <laughs> I actually had a relative of mine recommend this new Bible where they, uh, in Scripture, wherever the word you appears, it, that you can get this printed now, and it removes the word you, and it puts your name in, 
And I'm, that's also something I would frown upon. Um, just, you're not the center of the story, Jesus is. So it's just kind of a Bible reading tip. Anytime that happens, it's not good. Uh, but we can fall into this temptation, uh, and it is tempting, of certitude, of control, of, being a, of wanting to mentally grasp everything that is happening. And we lose the beauty of getting lost in the mystery and in the supernatural power of God working in us and around us. Um, so we can't, we can't uh, dismiss something because it looks foolish in the eyes of skeptics or it doesn't really jive with how we would um, uh, normally operate uh, in life. Because what that is, when you separate um, the teachings and the actions of Jesus and the supernatural, that's not Christianity. That's deism. That's what Thomas Jefferson was. That is a, 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 a thought process, a philosophy that God is a distant reality from what is happening in our lives and in this earth. So it's not our faith to separate the supernatural from the natural. Roger Olson, he wrote this about the supernatural. He said, I suspect our contemporary evangelical avoidance of the supernatural in the physical realm of reality has little to do with intellectual questions and issues. I suspect it has more to do with wanting our religion to be respectable. Above all, we don't want to be viewed by the world around us as fanatics. The abuses of the supernatural seen on cable television cause us to drop it entirely. But as the old saying goes, the cure for abuse is not disuse, but proper use. Which I, I love that, that last line. The epiphany that we get to realize today is that the supernatural and natural law are not mutually exclusive. They seemingly conflict on an extreme level, but that's what deism would have us believe, not Christ. So we welcome we come back to the transfiguration in scripture, but let's begin by actually defining what the supernatural is. And Derek Vreeland defines it this way, very succinctly. The supernatural includes miracles, signs, wonders, healing, prophecy, speaking in tongues, spiritual warfare, spiritual discernment, and more. Christian spirituality, the supernatural, is our lived experience in, with, and by the Holy Spirit. And in his book, Miracles, C.S. Lewis wrote, God must not be thought of as outside of the world so that it operates autonomously and independently so that the laws of nature are rigid rules that he has to break in order to act in unusual and special ways. Rather, the laws of nature are thought to be of, thought of as regularities of God's provincial sustaining work of continuous creation and God can suspend them or use them differently in which case miracle is what results. God is not some distant reality. He's not separate from natural law. He is at work within us and within nature. And one of the foundational truths of our faith is that God is near. God came from heaven to earth and never left. His spirit is still in us and around us. And our theology, which means understanding of God, and the supernatural, which means our experience of God, they go together. They aren't separate. We can't box them away. So we need, um, we need an integration of theology and the supernatural. So if, if you just look in the kind of nuts and bolts of words in the New Testament, teaching appears in the New Testament 88 times. Signs, wonders, healings, and miracles appear 83 times in the New Testament. There's actually a balance there in Scripture uh, of, of how these two blend together. And What's crazy is lately, a lot of the science I've seen, and trust me, that's not much, but I've quoted 
I mean, I've coded neuroscientists before, physicists, communication pathologists, chemists, and other scientists. There are scientific pathways that reveal an interwoven connection between the natural and the supernatural. So it's there. And I think it's, I actually think it's kind of easy for us to get there mentally and believe like, oh yeah, that connection's there. But to get there with our hearts and our actions and our lives, that's a different story to kind of let the supernatural and the natural play out in our lives. I've personally struggled in that area of allowing the supernatural to take place in my life and my family, my relationships and the places that I live, work, and play, um, it, it's not, it, it hasn't been, or for a long time it was not uh, uh, my nature to recognize that. Lately it has been. I, I've becoming, I've increasingly recognized the supernatural at work in me and around me. And I think that, uh, I, I would contend that the bridge between the natural and the supernatural, the bond, the dimension that ties them together, is love. Because that is the, theologically, that is the greatest gift that God has given. And the natural and the supernatural go together when love is present and ties them together. So if you notice in the transfiguration, and it's in other stories, it's an overarching theme in the New Testament. Um, God loves Jesus. He mentions that in the transfiguration. And Jesus brought his inner circle with him to that moment. So he had his father who loves him more than anything, and then he had the three men that he loves deeply and intimately with him in that moment. So love is happening all around the miraculous and all around the supernatural. And up to this point, what's interesting is those three men, Peter, James, and John, they had witnessed miracles, but they had never had a miracle happen to them. This is the first time that this supernatural has taken place in their life. It's a whole new level. And we see this throughout the New Testament that Jesus had a genuine love for those he was healing. It's the bridge between the natural and the supernatural. And I don't bring the bridge up necessarily to prove anything to you. I'm just bringing it up because to believe the supernatural, to notice it, it only occurs when there's love involved. It's why when I watch televangelists, it's not like I watch them a lot, but when I occasionally (laughs) I stumble upon or, or remember seeing a televangelist or or like Benny Hinn on, on, on TV, the prosperity gospel people, um, I'm extremely skeptical of it because the conduit between the supernatural and the natural is not love, it's money. So if there's money, if that's the, the motivation that I observe, I'm out. I don't believe it because that's not what ties the natural and the supernatural together. If there's any other motivation other than love, it's not real. That's my opinion. You can take that or leave it, but... I think that's a good way. I, I, that's the narr- That's the uh, the theme or the scope that I see in Scripture. So, in order to experience the supernatural power of God, we need to invite, receive, acknowledge, dwell in, and share love abundantly. Like that. That's what we have to get caught up in in order to experience the supernatural. And this is one of the main reasons we do discipleship puddles in Restore Church. It's not a group of people telling you what to do or giving you advice or counseling you. In fact, that's discouraged. What discipleship does is it makes you slow down and acknowledge God moments, God moving and speaking in your life, dwelling in those, like wrestling with the tension of that. Because let's face it, most of us have a hard time slowing down and acknowledging those moments. We have a tendency to suppress emotions. We don't have time for that, do we? We experience, whether it's negative or positive, I, po- I have the biggest heart, the hardest time with positive. Like something really good happens, I move on quickly. I'm like, all right, check, cross that off the list. Let's move on. We got, 
we got to go to the next mountain to climb or the next task on the list. I don't pause enough and allow that supernatural occurrence or that love of God to settle in and dwell within me and affect me. That's why we do huddle, because it forces us to slow down and have our emotions serve as guides into the presence of God. Um, I've gotten a lot better at this. Um, still improving, but a few years ago, I was telling Carrie last night, like, I have so many stories of me noticing the supernatural now that, uh, in fact, I brought my notebook up here. I might, we'll see how much time we have, but, um, yeah, we'll s- I don't like ad-libbing very often, but I brought it just in case because I write them down in there when I notice it. But one, one particularly personal supernatural occurrence that happened in my life is God revealed to me a few years ago that I had a really big inferiority complex. I had a major chip on my shoulder that I just carried around, and I hid it really well. Like, people would not know that. Uh, but it would manifest itself in different ways, like through anger or through defensiveness or violence. Um, I'm a pacifist, and people are like, oh, you're just... You know, the people think I'm, like, naturally peaceful. I'm not. All right? When someone makes me mad, my instinct is either verbal or physical violence. Some of you guys were with me in Greece a few years ago when someone tried to pick my pocket. My instinct was not peace. <laughs> I grabbed the guy and threw him up against the play glass window. <laughs> I'm not proud of that. It was not a good moment. It was not love <laughs> pouring out of me. All right? It's not my natural instincts. I've, got a t- I, I've had a chip on my shoulder, and God revealed it to me. What was powerful is that rather than suppressing that and blowing it off, uh, I'm going to condense a lot of moments and probably like 12 to 18 months of journey into about a two-minute story here. But I had a moment where I was praying one day uh, at my dining room table, and I was having some silent, like, contemplative prayer, and I asked God to take me back to the first time I ever experienced not feeling good enough. Like, where did the inferiority begin and I had my eyes closed, and it was a supernatural moment where he started, he took me down like this tunnel in my mind, and all these images of memories of when I felt inferior in these moments, they just started popping. It was not a pleasant experience to remit, like, oh, oh, like it was like getting punched mentally and emotionally over and over again. But he took me back through this journey, all the way back to the first time I experienced that, and it was in fourth grade. And that was the moment, and it didn't go back any further than that, and I felt like he was saying, that's the first time that you came to believe that lie, and then he replaced it with truth. And he didn't replace the, replace the lie with truth in that moment. He just revealed the lie. And then later on, I don't remember, it might have been weeks or even months later, he revealed the truth. And the truth is, you are my beloved. Like, that's what I felt he was saying to me, which means you are dearly loved. Like, there's, an, there's no reason for you to feel inferior. And it was this amazing journey. And it's not like it was a light switch for me. I still... I'm on that. I'm still coming. When you live a lie for 25 years, it takes time to detox from those from the negative habits you've built upon that lie. But the truth has guided me supernaturally out of that way of thinking and out of that way of living. And that's just one uh, example of how I've experienced the supernatural. It would not have happened if I didn't just stop and dwell in the love of Christ and recognize that and invite Him into those moments. So out of that, I've experienced signs and wonders and healings and miracles. Um, in November, Carrie and I went on a, a retreat uh, to a cabin in Shenandoah, and I was spending, I had kind of a, an hour or two morning where I was just praying and, and reading, and I just, I felt like I was saying, you need to reflect upon how I've, like the supernatural, how you've seen miracles. So I just started, over the last five years of our church, 
I just started writing down all the miracles I've seen, and it was really easy. It just came flowing out. I wrote down, I, I think I wrote down a couple more that I thought of last night, but I wrote down around 25 miracles in, in my journal. And I still flip through them and look, look through them um, occasionally. And I'm just blown away. At, some of them are big, some of them are little. Any of you who have felt financial pressure will appreciate this one. I was sitting in a meeting like six to 12 months into Restore, and it was, I was, it was a really fun meeting. We were talking like missional church stuff, and I got an email from our church accountant saying, we don't have any money. Um, do you want, we have enough money to pay rent to the Fillmore or payroll. What do you want to do? That's a terrifying email. All right, it's, I've had that email a few times over the last five years. It's, it's when your entire family your entire f- livelihood depends on the, on the financial success of a church entity. That is a weird emotion and, and, and uh, feeling to grasp. The next, so I'm, I mean, it was like a punch to the stomach. I'm scared. I'm like, what are we going to do? And then the next day, I got a call from a church in Kentucky that said they were going to give us 25 grand to support what we were doing. And I had applied for that money like months before. The day after I got that email, I get, I get the email from that church saying, and basically saying, like, I got this. And he's done that a lot. But that's just one of many examples of, like, I have no explanation for that other than God. Like, some, I, I think that's a sign and a wonder when that kind of stuff happens. So just tracking that. Um, so my advice to you would be like the disciples in transfiguration. Stop. Get away. They left their ministry and what they were doing to be with God, to slow themselves down, be alone with Jesus, and they let Christ's love settle on them. And you're gonna, you do that, and you're going to begin to notice the supernatural. And it's going to increase in power. The supernatural snowballs. It gains momentum and steam the more that you stop and recognize it and participate in it. And if I could just point out one more nugget from the transfiguration. Did any of you notice the disciples' final reaction to it? They were terrified. It freaked them out. Fear. The, the first new supernatural experience that they had with Christ freaked him out. If you slow yourself down and invite and receive and acknowledge Christ's love for you and you begin to experience the supernatural, it's going to freak you out. All right, It's going to be uncomfortable. And it may be uncomfortable for a while. I promise you it will. But don't stop recognizing that. Keep moving further into recognizing the supernatural. And I want to close by sharing just one more example uh, of the supernatural. It's big news for our church. Um, uh, three years ago on my way to an appointment uh, here in Silver Spring I got turned around and, and I drove by a little church on Sligo Avenue about a half a mile from here called Episcopal Ascension Church and at the time we were considering leaving our original venue the Fillmore uh, it was getting really expensive so we were looking for a more inexpensive option so we decided to give Episcopal Ascension a call to see if they had any extra space available turns out they did but unfortunately there was a church that had been renting it for years that was meeting in there, so it wasn't an option. So then we found McGinty's Pub, and which was a great fit for us. So we, we uh, rolled into McGinty's Pub for like 18 months, and it was a really powerful season in the Fillmore, and then the Irish Pub, and then now here for the last nine months. We've really enjoyed having, like this place is just continues to be an, am- an amazing <coughs> blessing to us. Um, and it's going to continue to be um, a place where we, we host an assortment of gatherings and events and, and use for, for different purposes in our church. So over our search for, uh, our, our search for a permanent um, Sunday morning worship gathering continued. 
um, after we left McGinty's, and then I drove by Episcopal Ascension Church again, I think around September, and I just felt like God was saying, call him. And, and it had been like a year and a half or so, or two years since I'd called him originally. And I called him, and they were really excited, and they said, they said, yeah, we would really be interested in having you because the church that we rented to for 10 years just had their last worship gathering yesterday. I called them the day after their contract with the church ended for 10 years. I'm, I was just like, what? So I figured, like, maybe we should explore this a little further. Maybe God's trying to say something. So we did, and we, we, took, we took multiple people through it, um, Sunday team leaders. We polled you about it. We asked them for... Um, this is another interesting thing is um, I've been in a lot of negotiations. Some of you probably have been in a lot of negotiations. And you know that ne- when you make requests and uh, a negotiating process, you don't ever get everything you ask for. But in this case, we did. Every single question we had or request, they gave us. I've never had that happen before. It was just unbelievable that we could get what we want, whether it was price, storage, extra space we expanded the time frame that they were originally offering they said yes to all of it it was just really cool to see uh, the spirit of God working in that and on February 1st we signed a contract with them uh, to be the new home of our Sunday worship gathering so April 1st is going to be our first Sunday worship gathering at Episcopal Ascension yes I'm excited Easter Sunday Um, and here we're excited about this for many many reasons some of them being we have more space for kids um multiple spaces we have rooms that already have supplies and toys and kids stuff set up that we're allowed to use which is really exciting for us we have more space for our worship gathering we're going to be in a room that can seat up to 125 150 people and then they also have a sanctuary that can seat up to 450 people this is a space where we could be in a really long time and not outgrow it Uh, the price is really good the Fillmore we paid 1250 per Sunday McGinty's we paid 450 per Sunday and at this church, we're paying two fifty per Sunday. And we get more space and more storage, um, which is shocking in downtown Silver Spring. It's just unbelievable. And then um, the big change, but I also think it's good news, is that we're moving from a Sunday morning worship gathering to a Sunday afternoon worship gathering. So it'll be from, we've been meeting at 9.30 a.m. for five years. We're going to be meeting at 4.30 or 5 p.m. from this point forward. And the reason we love this is because we are a missional church. We feel like God has called us to live on mission to connect with people who normally would have no interest in coming to church, so the church needs to go to them. And by we live in Montgomery County, and Sunday morning tends to be the morning off for people. It is when people rest, it is when people brunch, and we feel like it's when God tells us to go be with them. And so that frees us up to, I mean, maybe you can just party later on Saturday night with them and sleep in on Sunday morning. Uh, and then brunch with friends uh, at the time for mat- missional communities can gather on Sunday mornings now. It's a time for you to rest. I mean, sometimes you just need to sleep in and just chill and not have any responsibilities. And it gives uh, you and us the freedom to do that. There's a lot of reasons the Sunday evening is good. And we know it's a big change. Um, God, but God continues to lead our church, and we're thankful for this like next step on the journey. Uh, February 25th, we're going to have a uh, quick tour and prayer tour of the building. So um, at 2 p.m., We'll meet at Grace Ascension, and we'll just walk everybody through. We'd love to hear your suggestions and ideas for what you see for Sunday morning worship gathering. And then we're going to pray over each space that we're going to be using because uh, we just really feel like God is in this, and we're just really thankful for his supernatural presence leading us into that. And we hope you will 
continue the next step on the journey with us as a church community. Uh, we know it's a big change, but we, uh, we just feel a lot of peace and clarity in God leading us into this. And we're excited. And I honestly, I really feel like 2018 is going to be a season and a year of all of us experiencing the supernatural presence of God. So I want to challenge you individually to step into that as well and see where God might be leading you in your life supernaturally. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for first for providing.